is from Exodus 12, 37 to 42. The Israelites journeyed from Ramesses to Succoth. There were about 600,000 men on foot, besides women and children. Also, a mixed multitude went up with them, and also large droves of livestock, both flocks and herds. With the dough the Israelites had bought from Egypt, they baked loaves of unleavened bread. The dough was without yeast because they had been driven out of Egypt and did not have time to prepare food for themselves. Now the length of time the Israelite people lived in Egypt was 430 years. At the end of the 430 years, to the very day, all the Lord's divisions left Egypt. Because the Lord had kept vigil that night to bring them out of Egypt, on this night all the Israelites are to keep vigil to honour the Lord of the generations to come. Amen. Good evening. Welcome to All Hallows. If you're visiting this evening, warm, warm welcome to you. It's really good to have you. You've landed on what would be a vision talk. So during uh, October, we would often, and well, often we do, we basically look at our church vision. Where are we going? Where are we heading? What's the plans or what are we thinking about? And in some ways, um, tonight's vision talk, I would say, is one of probably the most important in the last few years. So uh, 10 years, Becky and I have been at All Hallows. Those first few years, it was about casting vision for mission and evangelism. It was about starting um, community centers that would really resource and equip our neighborhood, help our neighborhood. It was about building up youth work that would really reach out to the young people in the neighborhood. It was about building coffee shops uh, where we'd be able to serve the neighborhood and be a big, warm welcome to our neighborhood and changing the building from being a closed building to be an opening building. And then we hit now. And in some ways, I would say the last couple of years are helping us build up to this point of where we are now. And I think I get to speak on what is the most exciting bit of the vision. Uh, Raph will follow next week. Uh, Alex will be speaking. And then uh, Becky will be preaching. So this is the last time I'll preach for the next month. But I think I get the best bit. The best bit. The vision of All Hallows Bow is to be an explosion of joy by making Jesus known in the local community to see lives transformed. That's our vision. All Hallows Bow is here to be an explosion of joy by making Jesus known in the local community to see lives transformed. And what we're going to do is we're going to split that vision up into four chunks, each of those lines. And then, uh, yeah, so my head, mic's popping off my head. So not used to wearing it after months of not needing one. Um, So I'm taking the first chunk, this explosion of joy. That phrase, explosion of joy, was blatantly stolen from a Scottish theologian called Leslie Newbigin. Now, Leslie Newbigin said the good news, the gospel, in that moment of Christ's death and resurrection was this explosion of joy. In Christ's resurrection, the gospel explodes with joy, and like radioactive fallout, this gospel message then goes out to the world to bring transformation. It was a colorful explosion of good news. Um, John Sentamu, who was the Archbishop of York for years, who was also the Bishop of Stepney, said, if this is true, why do most Christians look like they're chewing a bitter lemon? Ooh, how true is that, though? How many Christians look bitter? We are called to be an explosion of joy. An encounter with the good news of Jesus transforms us and then becomes good news for the world. Amen. So this is who we are. We want to be a good news explosion in our neighborhood. We want to be a church that is known for joy 
rather than anything else. And it's been so much fun over the last 10 years having people say back to me, Becky, or Alex, oh, you're the church that throws those parties. A church that is known for throwing parties, we've not been able to do them during lockdown. Or you're the church that does all that children's work and youth work. It always looks so joyful when I go past Fern Street. I want us to be known as a community that's exploding with joy and it's exciting when, when non-Christians say that back to you. So this is who we are. We're a church that is exploding with joy. I think our Christmas season uh, will be titled this year, Comfort and Joy. Uh, we're planning Christmas services that won't be in here, but will be out there. We're planning ways of being able to express the joyful explosion of Jesus in our neighborhood. So it's visually seen and, and heard, not by being called to come to a building for a carol service, but because there's things going on in the street in our neighborhood. And that's exciting. We want to be a church that brings comfort and joy in the middle of a pandemic, which is a scary time. Now I'm going to pray. And I'm going to pick a particular direction to speak into this uh, this evening. So let me pray, and then we're going to go back to the passage for a moment. Holy Spirit, would you come, and would you excite us afresh for this good news that is an explosion of joy? Lord, we celebrate that first time when we heard the good news in a way that just made our hearts skip a beep. Beat. Remind us of that moment. And Lord, we ask, would you pour out your spirit that we might be revitalized around this explosion of joy? Particularly, Lord, in a year that feels so joyless, we ask your spirit and life to come among us this evening. And all the saints said, Amen. Amen. The passage that uh, Becca read for us this evening comes from the Exodus story. Uh, Just to give a little bit of context and background, God's people had been in slavery in Egypt for over 400 years. And God calls this man called Moses to lead the people of God from slavery into freedom. And they've just left Egypt and they're heading out towards the parting of the sea. Okay, that's kind of where they're going. And there's just some lovely language in here I want us to explore. The Israelites journeyed from Ramesses to Sukkoth, where there were about 600,000 men on foot, probably a similar number of women and a heck of a lot of children. Also, what's it say? A mixed multitude went up with them. Now, this was not a very Jewish-looking group of people at this time. This was a group of people that had been in slavery They had been uh, thrown in with a whole load of other people who become slaves as well. A whole mixed multitude. And Moses is, are you coming from slavery into freedom? And as Moses calls them and God calls them from slavery to freedom, this group of people that leave, leave Egypt heading towards the promised land are described in this nice translation as a mixed multitude. It could also be said as, uh, described as a motley crew. The message translation says a riffraff. This was not a clean-cut bunch of people. This was a motley crew, a mishmash of people from tribes and generations and areas that had all kind of come together. For me, it's a beautiful symbol and sign of, of what God's kingdom and God's people look like. It's a motley crew. The church should never be a place where you walk in and go, oh, I fit here. There should always be that level of, I'm not sure I 
totally fit here. Uh, let me, oh, I've deleted it. Do you know the phrase? I did a different sermon this morning to this evening. I had to try and compact it. Do you know the phrase, blood is thicker than water? The thing that binds us together is not that we look alike, we smell alike, we think alike, and love the same music and the same worship. What binds us together is the blood of Jesus. And the blood of Jesus is thicker than water. That's what binds us together. And if you ever walk in a church building and think you fit, maybe you've joined a monochrome community. God's call is to be a part of a community where we don't completely fit, but we do because we're bound by the blood of Jesus. I love this line here. All of the Lord's divisions can be translated as tribes and groups. All these tribes and all these groups were led from slavery into freedom. In the Old Testament, the liberator of God's people was called Moses. In the New Testament, the liberator of God's people is called Jesus. And we have a very similar passage in Colossians that simply says, he, Jesus, Jesus was supreme in the beginning and leading the resurrection parade. This is a parade made up of people from all tribes, all cultures, all backgrounds, all financial dispositions, the educated and the uneducated, the young and the old, all in Jesus' resurrection prayed. He is supreme in the end. From the beginning to end, he is there, towering far above everything and everyone. So spacious is he, so roomy, that everything of God finds its proper place in him without crowding. I love this next bit. If fi everything finding its proper place in Jesus Christ without crowding is not good enough for you, you're asking for a little bit more. Not only that, but all of the broken and dislocated pieces of the universe, people, things, animals and atoms, the bunny rabbit and the kettle, all get caught up in this resurrection of Jesus. Jesus, when he died on the cross, he didn't just die for you. He died for the cosmos, people, things, animals, atoms, which means God cares about you, your soul, as well as your neighborhood. Everything about your life, God cares because people, things, animals, and atoms get properly fixed and fit together in vibrant harmony. The actual word there is the word shalom. Everything coming back into a proper place with God. That's what God's doing. He's bringing shalom and peace and wholeness to people and communities and to networks and to nations and to the planet. Why do we recycle? Not because it's just a nice thing to do. It's a part of God's work, properly fixed and fit together in vibrant harmony because of his death, his blood that poured down on the cross. This is the good news, this explosion of joy. And is it good? Because it's great. It's great. Ben says it's great. It's great because it involves you as well as your neighbor, as well as your street, the dust on the ground that you walk on. Everything gets pulled together in vibrant harmony because of Jesus Christ. This is good news. Jesus in the New Testament is a new Moses that leads a mixed multitude of motley crew from slavery into freedom. Jesus is calling all of us, from whatever background we are from, to be a part of a tribe, a people of God that do not look like they fit, but they do because blood is thicker than water. But the church can't be the church of Jesus and all look the same. Jesus' church is a church made up of men and women from every ethnicity, from every culture, every tribe, every financial disposition, Jesus' church is made up of PhD students and street students. 
the sick and the well, the young and the old, the handsome and the not so. It's a mixed bag. It's a motley crew. It's riffraff. The church of Jesus is a bit of a mess because it's all of us. But there is a problem. And the problem is the church has systemically failed for not 10 years, not 20 years. We're talking hundreds of years. Hundreds of years the church has failed to truly be the church of Jesus. I'm reading a book at the moment called Ghost Ship. Fancy finding it on Amazon. Institutional Racism in the Church of England. Institutional Racism in the Church of England. It's written by a friend of mine, Francis um, Williams, Azariah Francis Williams. Such a powerful book about institutional racism. The Church of England has not always been what Jesus wants it to be. And I would question, is it still? It has been led by educated men who are white, who have done so in a way that was structured to keep them in power. When asked to change the system, they didn't. There were priests and bishops in the history of the church who stood in the way of the abolition of slavery and even invested into it. They weren't living out this radical kingdom where everyone is caught up. There was a two-tier society and they created a world where it was okay for them to invest into slavery. If you've ever kind of read anything about the Windrush generation, gosh, the Windrush generation when they came to, to the UK, I think were a gift to a very dull Church of England. I think the Spirit of God was coming with people to the church in the UK as a gift from God to awaken the church. And what did the church do? Oh, it's a bit too messy. Do you, do you mind not coming with that clapping? We're not interested in that way of worshipping. This is what we do. Either join us or don't come. And in many ways said, you aren't welcome as you are. And they kicked them out the door. And many of these guys went on to be a part of the Assemblies of God and some of the biggest thriving black churches in our nation. Some of the fastest churches growing in this country are from people who came to the UK as a part of the Windrush generation, who brought something with them, who were a part of a church that has exploded and grown in the UK. The Church of England missed it because we were defending something, protecting something. Oh, that's too messy. We don't want that. We like our robes to be nice and clean. The church has not been the church of Jesus. But God is on the move, isn't he? I just want to explore with us something really boring for a moment. Some of us um, will find this great. Some of you go, what the heck was that all about? Okay, I want to explain to you something called a theological framework. Just so you can get your head around something for a moment. A theological framework is a framework of which you think this is how God works. The Bible gives me all these passages. I put them together. It creates a frame of which I can build my faith upon. This theological framework, okay? And... Your theological framework, how you see God, will change what you do with the data that you receive. You'll take that data, the blue arrow, into yourself. You put it through your framework and you churn out your teaching, your understanding, your way of living. Okay? Depending on how you see God will radically change how you read the Bible, radically change how you live out your faith. Okay, so there's lots of different frameworks for us. I want to just explore two very simple ones for a moment that might help us understand why it was that some people turned a blind eye 
to racism and slavery and everything else that came along with that whole industry. Okay, this is very small. This is basically my notes. So if you can't see this from the the back, chill. You can come and yeah, I know Anne. You could upgrade if you, if you wanted.、Um, the first theological framework is this: God cares about your spiritual life, but not about your physical life. This kind of way of thinking, you can find it in places like 1 John 1:9. So people have taken this line and created a framework. It says, "If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just, and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all, all unrighteousness." So people who read that passage said, "The only thing you ever need to do is you need to confess your sin, and your soul will be right with God, and that's all He cares about." So what they understood was that God only cares about your soul. And he doesn't care about anything else about you. It's just your soul, which means we do things like the confession. You know, the confessional. You see it in Catholic churches very often. People will go and see a priest. They'll sit down. They'll confess their sin, but then walk out the door and carry on doing what they're doing. Because it's all about just getting your、uh, your soul right. So faith in this framework is all about sin and your soul, and it has a separation of. Your soul and your body. So your body and your flesh is one thing. Your soul is the other. God only cares about your soul. So God isn't interested in your health. He won't be interested in your skin color, poverty, education, addiction, anything to do with your external life or your external well-being. God's not interested in that stuff. So the question these guys would ask would be something like, "Are you saved or are you born again?" That's the big. Question: They want to know. Are you born again? Great question. Jesus talks about it. It's not a bad thing, but that becomes the primary question they ask: Are you born again? And it particularly comes from a Greek way of thinking: this separation out about, between the spirit and the physical. The Greeks said there's two worlds: there's a spiritual world and a physical world. Physical is bad. We've got to get into the spiritual realms. Get rid of all the physical stuff. Let's just aim. Let's aim for the spirit stuff. Okay. So this, because of this separation, people read these passages and go, "God only cares about your soul; he's not bothered about your physical." Because of this line of thinking, there were very intelligent priests or church leaders who would look at a slave and say, "Do you know that Jesus died for you?" "Yes, I do." "Do you accept Jesus as Lord?" "Yes, I do." And they would say, "You are now saved." But then walk away and ignore the fact that, that person is living in slavery, or has been sold into institutional slavery.、Uh, under this framework, you can get away with allowing anyone to do anything, go anywhere, be anything, being trapped by any other human being, because it's all about your soul. You might be starving to death, but as long as your soul is right with God, jobs are good. Does that make sense? So that, that's the first framework. The second framework is this. God cares about your spiritual life and your physical life. Passages that have been helpful for shaping this have been something like Romans 12:1, where it says, "Present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship." Hang on, God here is interested in our bodies being living sacrifices. God doesn't just care about your soul; He cares about your body. And there was this growing. It originates. It's older than the Greek. It's actually Hebraic thinking. It's a very Jewish way of thinking, but it got lost. And the idea was that God doesn't just care about your your sin, 
life. He cares about the soil under your feet. He cares about everything around you. He cares about are you thriving in life? Are you doing well in life? So God is interested in holiness of your soul as well as a thriving of your physical being. Mental health, fighting injustice, housing, education, freedom in all forms, living life to the full. It was about faith and works. It was the whole thing together. It was the, are you, are you caring for your uh, friend in them coming to faith? And are you, are you caring about the fact that they've got no food on their table? It was these two things coming together. And it's this framework that we as All Hallows completely believe. Completely. And it's been the basis of all of our work through Fern Street, through our youth work, through the ministry at the church, through the cafe, all of it. We believe that God cares about what's going on inside somebody and he cares about what's going on the outside of somebody. He cares. You know, it would have been very easy for God to say to the Egyptians, don't worry, you can keep your slaves. I'm going to save their souls, though. But uh, we're going to leave them in Egypt. But don't worry, when they die, they're all going to come to heaven. He could have done that. That isn't what God wanted for his people. He wanted them to live in full freedom. Freedom from the internal stuff and freedom from the external stuff. And it's this theological framework that we believe at All Hallows, that God cares about the whole of a human being. Everything of an individual is what God cares about, the wholeness of their lives. So, with all of that in mind, our vision going forwards, All Hallows, in the next few years is to really step up our game when it comes to diversity. And not just a case of not being racist, or ageist, or sexist, but being anti all of those things. We want to go beyond, and we want to think about how do we thrive and grow as disciples of Jesus, liberating our neighborhood and our church in all forms of oppression. We are a church fixed on the vision of being a church where everybody can play their part. Every culture and nationality is welcomed and valued. A church that desires to grow leaders of all diversity and financial backgrounds. Right now, oh yeah, that's my next line. Right now, I want to focus just on one of those areas. Now, the three areas that we, of the last few years, have really felt passionate about uh, have been the area of age diversity, economic diversity, but also race diversity. And one of the things we've focused on the last few years is around age diversity. We've worked really hard in our morning service to get service leaders and young people involved. So it really feels like a family. Uh, we've been working with the Church of England and the diocese to start training up people that don't look very Anglican, RAF. Um, we, we, and we've gone through some battles, haven't we? But it's been so worth it because we're changing the culture and the shape of the Church of England. When I got ordained, there weren't many like me. Uh, a Yorkshireman, West Yorkshire, you know, I was an art student. You know, I was done so many times for trying to derail trains with two pence pieces and spray paint the side of trains. I, I'm not the kind of person that would normally fit in the Church of England. But there was a radical shift to ordain younger people about 15, 20 years ago. And now there's a new shift happening around diversity. And we've got the opportunity to be on the front foot with it. And it's really, really exciting. So three areas of diversity, age, economic, and racial diversity. And it's that bit that I want to focus on this evening, racial diversity. Why now? Why is this the time? Why is this important, Chris? That's a really, why didn't we do this two years ago? I don't know. To be fair, I feel like God's doing something. I feel the time is right, not just for All Hallows, but for the Church of England in London. 
There's something happening in these conversations. The time is right. God is doing something new. There is a move of the Spirit at this time to challenge yet again um, what needs challenging, but also uh, to be a part of some of the change. It's really sad. I go to clergy meetings in the Stepney area, and very often they're predominantly uh, white men, of which I am one of them, um, and I'm quickly becoming one of the middle-aged ones. Uh, and then you'll have maybe one or two women clergy in that group who are absolutely amazing, fun, energetic, passionate. And then you might, we might often have maybe one black or Asian clergyman in the room. Uh, and the question, you know, how are we doing with diversity? And everybody will look at that individual. How are we doing with diversity? The fact that you have to look up to one individual is not okay. There's more work to be done in shaping the church in London, and not just nationally, but London, to genuinely look like the neighborhoods that it serves. Does that make sense? We need the diocese to look more diverse, not only to reach London, but also because it's just a part of the nature and character of God, but also it's part of our theological framework. God is wanting to gather in all people, all tribes. So let me just talk about the Church of England for a moment. We want to be a church that's playing its part in shaping the culture and direction of the Church of England. How are we doing that, Chris? It's not easy for some of you guys who work Monday to Friday to really be a part of this, but it's helpful for you to know what we're a part of. So in the last uh, year, um, I've got involved with the, the, there's a, we love, you know, a DDO is a director of ordinance. An ADO is somebody that helps the director of ordinance. I became an ADO. My job is to help the Church of England uh, find people interested in getting ordained that are not white and are not old. That's my job, okay? And we need to change the system to make it more helpful for people who will be off-put by a... Raph, how many pages was that first form you had to fill in? I can't... Is it like 10 or something? I'm like, if, if you are unsure about yourself, do I fit the Church of England? And somebody says, here's, here's a form to fill in. It's 10 pages long. You're already, like, kicking people out the door. If I'm dyslexic. Any paperwork in is always a struggle. And so there's the systematic uh, things in the Church of England that radically are changing. So I'm a part of the selection now of young clergy, and it's really exciting to see who is going. We had 14 individuals go for ordination uh, last year, of which uh, four were not white. Okay, the dream is for six in the next year and to keep kind of growing that. So that's one of the things we're doing. We're partnering, you know, spending time with the diocese doing that. We're also a part of uh, some of the groups within the diocese talking about this stuff. So last week I was on a three-hour Zoom call with the bishop, some area deans, and some other uh, clergy from the diocese thinking about how do we grow leaders in our local churches uh, that will grow up and become national leaders. What do we need to look for? Who are the kind of people that we want? And how do we need to find the people we want? And because the, the danger is, if I said to you, how many of you are called? There's some of us that will naturally have an I'm in. And there's some of us that are really being called, but naturally your heart leans out. I can't do that. So how do we find the ones that God is really calling and make the, the process of that you know, much easier for people? Does that make sense?
So we're kind of working with the diocese, uh, writing emails of protest about issues that are coming up. I noticed something last week. We went to a meeting, and there was four white males leading this meeting. So I emailed afterwards going, this is just not okay. Can we really think about this? We at least need a woman in there, please. And can we think about diversity in all its form, you know, protesting the diocese. And it's really good because they're up for it. And then what about us? Um, we actually do have some goals that have been private goals for a little while. And I got to share them with just a couple of people from All Hallows over lockdown. And I've been quite reluctant to share them because I, I think they're quite crude in, in some shape or form. Um, but then I checked out with a few people. What do you think? Should I share them? Should I not? And as long as you, ex you understand, they're a bit crude. But you'll, you'll see the heart behind what we're trying to achieve here. So um, some of the uh, goals that we want to set as All Hallows, we want to make sure that our interns and our ordinands are more diverse. We had a, a string of white interns and absolutely loved every single one of them. Something, I um, do apologize, boys. <laughs> we want to see more diversity in our interns and our ordinands. What is it about what we're doing that means we are getting the same results every single time? What we're doing wrong? Why are we not appealing to somebody uh, to join us? So, interns and ordinands, more diverse. Uh, our morning service, we want 50%. We have a, we have a leading, uh, service leading team in the morning service. We want 50% of them uh, to be non-white. Uh, and that's what we've been working on the last couple of years, and that's been really exciting seeing that. In the evening service, we want to uh, grow some uh, more diverse uh, service leaders, but also preachers. Uh, we want to give people the opportunity to, to preach. And it's not through, through not trying sometimes, but there's something we're doing that's putting people off from actually giving it a go. What is that? We want the PCC to be fully representative of the congregation and the wardens, we want there to be at least one warden who is non-white. At least one warden that is non-white. As just a, uh, we, we try to do this thing where we have uh, two male and two female. Uh, and it, you can't make those rules up in the Church of England, it's whoever kind of goes to the role, but you can try to help those diversity bits. So, you know, we do have two male, two female. And we want to say, well, we want to make sure that we always have somebody who's non-white. So one of our deputy wardens, Tracy, uh, has been a part of that. You know, I, I blatantly went to her and said, Trace, I need, I need to shift the culture of our church. Please lean in. And she became one of our church wardens uh, a couple of years ago. One of the other things that we're doing at the moment is setting up uh, just a little kind of group of people, like a little subcommittee, who want to think through some of the diversity stuff in our church. Uh, we want to be thinking around what are the systems that we might have in place as a church that keeps bringing about the same results. Uh, so we want to have this, this little group of people. I've kind of called it here a diversity subcommittee. What a title. Like, only Anglicans come up with titles like diversity subcommittees. You get the heart. We want to have a group of people who are championing this stuff. What like, Chris? Little things about what appears on the screen. Do we ever think through what pictures appear on the screen? Do we ever notice that 60% of the pictures used are all white? or 80% of the pictures are all white. Uh, you know, thinking through this, this kind of stuff in every level of our church, are we truly representing the full kingdom of God in all the areas of our ministry and life? So, the subcommittee. And then the final little bit, and this is kind of a, a challenge to Ben, which he needs. We want to sing songs that are not just from Bethel and Hillsong. And uh, we've got some nice, neat stuff that we do in the morning service that don't ever necessarily progress into the evening or we want to think about where our songs are coming from 
And it's not partly because some of the songs come from churches that we would definitely not agree with politically. Like, that's definitely a thing. Like, some churches write some amazing songs, but we would definitely not agree with them politically. And we're like, do we really want to sing those songs? Are we aligning ourselves with something we don't want to align ourselves with? In the same way, we want to find writers of songs that come from all backgrounds. So we're a church that really represents the, the body and creativity of God in, uh, in all kind of areas of our lives. So um, there's some of the goals. You might say, Chris, I think you've got a goal missing. Share it with us. Like we really want to work hard at this. The big goal that we have over the next five to ten years is to radically change the shape of the Church of England in the Stepney area. I want to make sure that um, we have a great proportion of our clergy that are non-white. This may mean, it's not a threat, this may mean I may have to move on at some point so we can, we can be a part of that change. Does that, yeah, does that make sense? Uh, I, I'm, I'm a part of a demographic that's got to go. I'm a part of a demographic that needs to be a gatekeeper to open the doors for others to come in. And there'll become a point where myself and Dan Scott, you remember the Dan Scott, those remember Dan from a few years ago? This is something Dan and I are really passionate about. We want to be able to get out of the way to see the church really becoming the body of Christ. If we can open the door for someone else, then we are totally happy with that. I've got no agenda to become anything else other than a local parish priest. I'm not interested. But if we can get great people moving through the Church of England, changing the culture and shape of this old institution, let's do it. Amen. Let's do it. So the bottom line is this, friends. Our vision, looking forward, is to be a church that thrives as a diverse, beautiful uh, representation of the body of Christ. And that we want to be anti anything that goes against that picture of God through the people of God. We want to be proactive in rooting it out, calling it out, and being the change we want to see. We want to be this motley crew, this riffraff. We want the Church of England to look like that riffraff. So the question I just want to ask you as I finish is this. In some ways, it feels more like a, less of a sermon and more of a something. Um, but the question is this, what, what part are you going to play? What's your part in what God is doing? What is this part that you have? If, if God's calling us to be a motley crew, a riffraff, what is God calling you? Now, for some of you, it'll be God's calling you to be in your workplace, to be Jesus in your workplace, but to lean into different areas of church life. It might be to be part of a welcome team, a ministry team, small group leader. It might be serving at Fern Street or getting involved with the youth work. It might be on that kind of level for some of us. Some of us, it might be about joining the elders of the church, the PCC. Uh, for some of us, it might be uh, something a bit bigger. It might be about discerning a calling, a lay calling. You don't have to just be ordained to be in leadership. You can have a lay calling. Alex, our youth worker, she's a lay leader in the Church of England. She's been commissioned to get on what she's doing as a, like the bishop prayed over her for her role. But she's not ordained, but she preaches because it's a part of her mission and her ministry. So some of us might be called to that. Some of us may be called to become a little bit more. Some of us might have the call in our lives to, what's a flickering light, to become a leader in the church. It might be through ordination of some shape or form that God may call you. 
And I can guarantee right now, if any one of you felt a call to the Church of England, you would, you would halve the age of church clergy by half, probably. Um, the, the national age isn't a good picture. Um, you you are pretty, would pretty much bring the age down. Um, but some of us, it's that call. Could God be calling you to be a part of the leadership of the Church of England, changing the culture and the shape? What is the part that God is calling you to? If it's that big one, talk to Raph and I. Um, neither of us really fit, but we love it. We're working it out. Becky doesn't really fit, but she's working it out. For others of us, what is it God's calling you to in your workplace, to serving at the church? What's that look like? What's that look like? The Church of England... Is that a slide I could have on there? You don't really need that. Do you? Um, the Church of England has not always represented Jesus well. And most of the time we ignore it like you do with the bad behavior of a child. Oh, we just, we just put them in the back room and ignore them. And for a long time, it's been very easy to just ignore the racism that has gone on in the past. Oh, well, the Windrush generation, you know, that was in the 60s. It's happened. We've moved on. Put it in the back room. Oh, well, slavery happened and the Church of England invested in some of these things. Oh, we'll just put them in the back room. But there comes a time when we have to publicly say, no, that's not who we're going to be. We don't want any part in that history. And we have to call it out, we have to confess it, and then we have to dream for the next stages of the future. And I'd love to lead us in confession. Some of us, as our leaders in this confession, your response is not to say amen at the end. Some of us' response is to receive it. Some of us might need to hear the confession and recognize that's actually that fits as a part of my family's history. And I'm very aware of uh, the impact of this stuff on my family's life. So you might want to receive it. Those of us aren't receiving it, we may, uh, I'm going to encourage us to say amen at the end. I'm going to lead us through, and then at the end, I'm going to say it, and all the saints said. And I'd love us to have a robust, muffled, but holy amen, hallelujah. Because we, we want to own uh, our family's history. We've all got uncles and aunts are an embarrassment. Do you know, well, we do. We love ignoring them. But sometimes things have to be brought out and confessed to move on. And that's what we're going to do tonight. So I'm going to lead us in a confession. And you might want to close your eyes as I kind of read this. It is quite long. But at the end, when I say, and all the saints said, if we could say, like, hallelujah, amen, or, or something like that. Here we go. We gather as a community of protest, a movement of change, a people uh, committed to living differently. In the light of Jesus, let us repent of the division and the fracturing of our society. Let us resolve to do better and be better and to work together for better. In the name of the Holy Trinity, we stand against all forms of division and hatred. We reject racism and repent of all the benefits that we have received from it. As inheritors of the church and a society built with the wealth of slavery, we repent of the church's divisive and racist past. 
We lament that there have been times when the church's leadership has benefited from slavery for their own gain, invested into and the trading of lives as a commodity. We reject white supremacy and affirm that all people are made in the image and likeness of God. We reject nationalism and affirm and commit ourselves to working for God's kingdom, the communion of saints. We reject all forms of discrimination and affirm again our commitment to God's radical and amazing welcome to all. We believe in God's technical church, a church which celebrates and affirms every person and does not discriminate. We will continue to challenge the church where it continues to discriminate against people on grounds of disability, economic power, ethnicity, gender, gender identity, learning disabilities, mental health. We believe in a church which welcomes and serves all people in the name of Jesus Christ. A church that is scripturally faithful, which seeks to proclaim the gospel afresh for each generation, and which in the power of the Holy Spirit allows all people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. We confess the sin of the past generations and the present. We look for God's loving mercy and forgiveness. Not only do we confess, but we also ask the Spirit of God to work within us to be a people who make right what has been wrong. Let's just have a moment of quiet. May the God of love bring us back to himself. Forgive us of our sins. Reassure us of his eternal love in Jesus Christ, our Lord. And all the saints said, Amen. Oh, really? And all the saints said, Amen. We're going to continue uh, to worship just with one final song. Uh, if anybody wants to get hold of a copy of Ghost Ship, um, if you want to come and take a